Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Charlotte. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Fort Vector. Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Fort Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Hey, Ben. How you doing, Adam? I'm underneath a blanket tent. Oh, yeah. If the viewers at home are looking at me, they'd see like that scene in Titanic where Rose and Leonardo DiCaprio are under the sheets. Right. Right. That's where that happens, right? Um, Is that... Am I thinking of a different movie? I think of the topless scene where he, he draws her. Oh, wait. Am I thinking of Pearl Harbor where Ben Affleck <laughs> and Kate Beckinsale are also under sheets? There's a lot of under sheets movies, huh? Yeah. Usually people get under sheets if they're going to do it. There's also the movie called Under Sheets where mm. uh, that girl pops out of a cake. Yeah, and Steven Seagal has to stop her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see you have a uh, folding ladder there behind you. Oh yeah, not an OSHA compliant model, it would seem. You've got the all metal frame there, so uh, yeah. This is not an OSHA compliant podcast, though. Unfortunately, yeah, we've had a lot of uh, interventions from the federal government about what an unsafe workplace this is. Yeah, yeah, unsafe at any speed, but we prefer one X. <laughs> yeah. Just so you know. <laughs> We prefer 1X, just so you know. Yeah. Ralph Nader got really mad at some people that were playing our show at 1.5X. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? You're welcome to listen to this show at faster than 1X speed, but you got to wear a seatbelt now. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, and a helmet. When I was uh, probably like... 10, maybe 11. We were in East Haven, Connecticut, visiting my great aunt, wonderful lady, Aunt Betsy. She was uh, one of the first women to graduate from medical school at Yale. Wow. And uh, she was a a pediatrician her whole life, but she was just a cranky old lady when I knew her. So I was very (laughs) afraid of Aunt Betsy for the most part. And uh, she had lots of opinions about cars. She thought people that drove red cars were bad drivers universally. Wow. Uh, She had a firm belief in driving 23 miles an hour no matter what because that's what the... Because Michael Jordan. Because that's what the lights are synchronized to. And like no amount of evidence to the contrary would make her believe that like she would like you know on like big wide open roads where you're supposed to drive 45 miles an hour she would drive 23 miles an hour <laughs> well it feels like over the last couple of years we as a society have been made aware mm. in a way that we've never known before of the existence of the dumb doctor <laughs> <laughs> she, she was not dumb she was just she was just particular but uh, uh i didn't mean to call aunt nancy dumb i just meant like aunt betsy Fuck you. <laughs> it's a different nickname for Elizabeth. Aunt Betsy is medically smart, but also a little a little strange when it comes to other things. Yeah. Uh, but one thing was she would get in the car and uh, the seatbelt, she would put the, the crossbody part behind her. Oh, no. Uh, she would just do the lap belt part. And uh, my, <laughs> my dad, never one to back down from an extremely awkward experience. <laughs> Was driving me and her somewhere while we were out visiting one time, and he told her to put the belt in front of her for safety, and she said she wouldn't because it irritated her breasts. And I'm in the back of the car as a 10-year-old boy, just like wanting to crawl out of my skin and then out the window and into oncoming traffic. Please tell me your dad breast-splained Aunt Betsy. He said, maybe Ben can take off his sweatshirt and you can put it in between the belt and your breasts so that they won't be irritated. Which would be the only time that sweatshirt would touch breasts for another 20 years, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm just in the back of the car like, can we please stop talking about the existence of breasts? <laughs> <laughs> 
So a family of performers walk into the agent's office and they say, have I got an act for you? What do you call that? The Harrisons. (laughs) Oh, Ben, we've got a great episode of Star Trek Voyager to discuss today, don't we? One of the best. Mm. (laughs) I see what you did there. It is, Adam. It's season four, episode 25. What? Reaper course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> There's a feeling in this cold open that was so familiar to me. Seven's looking around the mess hall. She sees some familiars. Yeah. She's like, why is BLT on a date with Kim? Because Kim's the stick man of the crew. <laughs> he was stating the obvious again. Seven believes this to be a friendly group of people and engages them in some uh, polite conversation. I would like to talk with you. Okay. I think the thing that foreshadows the awful thing that happens in a moment is that <laughs> Seven does not sit down. She just stands there and kind of like asks them questions without giving them enough time to answer them. She's just rapid-firing questions at them. Yeah. Ensign Kim, what is your place of order? Specify the food you find enjoyable. This is the sports you play. The questions get more probing mm. as the questions continue, and there's no answers, like, question on top of answer, on top of question, on top of answer, and on and on. This is a bad moment for Seven. Yeah. You don't, uh, you know, like, when you're getting to know someone in a platonic way is not a great time to ask them, like, what they're into sexually. Yeah. Like, definitely if you're dating someone, you want to ask BLT what she's into. But if you're just BLT's friend, you don't ask her, like, what she does with her sex partner. Yeah, you just let that factoid spill out. You don't ask. (laughs) You're just told (laughs) about what's going on there. Adam, what is almost always the explanation in a cold open for something seeming extremely weird? Okay, that's it. Computer freeze program. It's always a simulation. That's right. This one in particular is called the Introduction to Human Interactions course. And the hollow doctor is the professor. But what my theory presupposes is that he might as well be teaching co-hosting a podcast. (laughs) Because the lessons here are the same. Don't interrupt. I should probably be auditing this course (laughs) all the time. Yeah. One of the cool things about living in a town with a big university is you can go sit in on a lecture and like just soak it up, you know? Yeah. Doesn't cost you a dime. Seven is failing this class. It's not good for her. Yeah. And as the doctor explains the importance of taking and passing this class, they are told that Voyager has approached a Wrath of Khan class nebular. Yeah. Full power! Damn you! I loved this. I didn't know that this was a thing. But uh, yeah, they yeah. refer to it as a Mutaran Nebula, yeah. which uh, is not to be confused with a Mutara Nebula. Yeah. The first of its kind, the Mutara Nebula. It's big as hell. They're talking yeah. about how big this thing is and how there are some weird materials in it, but not enough that they're like super worried about it. Yeah, let's just take the ship on in there. Why not yeah. is the idea. The reason why not is the headaches. No one took their brood before (laughs) taking Voyager into this nebular, and everyone is in a great amount of pain as soon as the ship starts moving in there. It seems to kind of hit them at different rates. Like Harry is the first one to get it, and then it's like Tom Paris is getting it, and then it kind of like around the bridge randomly people get it more and more, and... You know, the doctor is down in six bay going like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> like, like half the ship just walked in my front door with lesions on their face. Tuvok fortunately is able to get the ship like turned around. Seven of nine is on her way up to the bridge to treat the folks up there. But when she arrives, you know, they're just catching their breath after leaving the edge of the nebula. And, uh, she gets up to the bridge and there's a security guy on the ground and it looks like he, he's covered in McRib sauce. Yeah. They roll him over and he looks like burnt ends. <laughs> he's dead. 
they're talking about this nebula just being like too big to go around. Like yeah. this is like a Necrid expands kind of problem, I guess. Except for when they show it, it's like just go over it. Like uh, like I can yeah. see why going around it would take a long time, but going over it looks like it would maybe add like um a couple of months max. Three dimensional thinking is not what they're doing here in the ass lab. I thought that that's what Mutara Nebulas were supposed to inspire in people. You and me both. Maybe that's the course that the doctor should be teaching. <laughs> Nebular navigation. Yeah. Instead, uh, he pitches the idea of stasis chambers to the captain. They're talking about like, oh yeah, like everybody on the crew would be asleep and just the doctor would be awake and... <laughs> The smash cut here is maybe the smashiest of cuts in Star Trek history because, like, they're talking about who else they can trust with this. And they smash cut to Seven of Nine down in the cargo bay, but, like, framed up with all the board crap behind her to really, like, draw a bright outline around how risky it is to trust Seven with all of their lives. This is like that moment where the parents need to go out on a date and one of their kids just might be old enough to babysit for the other kid. (laughs) And this is the first time. And you're just not so sure she's got it in her to be responsible enough for that. But God, do you really need to have a date right now? (laughs) Like she did try and feed him lipstick last (laughs) last week. (laughs) And they're like, yeah, but she is 13. Yeah. God, and Seven, in her own way, tries to make it clear that she can be trusted. Yeah. But as kind of a check on her, she will have to obey the doctor in the chain of command. And this is something she naturally takes great umbrage with, right? Yeah, a little bit of uh, anti-synthetic bias here from from Seven, like, which seems weird, right? Because she was part of a computer consciousness but when, when she's told that she's going to be answering to a computer program, she's like, Ew, him? Hell no. I don't respect holographic pips. I don't know about you. <laughs> I mean, he's pipless. They should give him a rank. Shouldn't they? Maybe maybe adding pips to the program would like overload his hollow matrix or something. I think it's why they don't give him pips. It's because he could give himself as many as he wanted. <laughs> a string of pips, even. Yeah. It could look like he's in pip chain mail walking around. Six bay. An elegant string of pip configuration. Mm. <laughs> As Nicolas Cage would say. The second you don't respect this, it kills you. So uh, they have a, a McLaughlin group. Issue one. That sort of explains stasis to anyone that's never seen a science fiction film before. <laughs> you know, senior staff of the starship. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of like... Are we are we sure about this whole leaving Seven and the Doctor in charge conversation going on? Can I ask you a question about how many times a day you would like your vital signs checked were you to be put in stasis? <laughs> like, what is your threshold for comfort there? Is it more or less than four times per day? <laughs> I mean... Because my by my math, that's every six hours. Yeah. I don't like that. I think that the thing that makes that feel really dangerous is that these stasis chambers seem very unknown to them. Yeah. Ensign Kim is like, yeah, I like read about these and they don't seem that bulletproof. Have they been on the ship the whole time also, or did they have to make these? They must have had to replicate them. But the replicators are famously underpowered. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) They had to replicate so many and they're big chunks of metal. That's why I thought that maybe they'd always been there, kind of like the escape rafts on a cruise ship. Like you oh, need yeah. a stasis thing for each crew person. The fucked up thing is that these are also the torpedoes that they shoot you out in <laughs> if you die. <laughs> they, they serve double function. It's very efficient that way. <laughs> we don't have to take you out and repack you into something else. <laughs> Chicote sees the folly in this. Like he he's like, Captain, like, talk me into this. This seems crazy. In a nutshell. I needed way more than this scene to be talked into this idea, Ben. How many questions did you have about this at this I, moment in time? I mean, Chicote raises all of the concerns that would be raised in anyone's mind. Like, Tevin has been 
super recalcitrant since she came on board, has never really been a team player, doesn't really seem like she respects the chain of command. Well, like, upon what are you basing the decision to entrust all of our lives to her? Also, do you trust stasis tanks as a thing anyway after having just been introduced to them? Yeah. Like, I'd, wa- I'd want to shoot a stasis bois out into the nebular and maybe put a dog in it or something. <laughs> stasis chamber. Suspended animation. Are there any side effects? I think we can handle this. All right. We need to make sure that the stasis bois is safe for life. See if stasis Leica comes back okay. That's what I'm saying. I know you don't want to do it. Do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. You know, Chakotay and the captain were in stasis chambers when they had their little tryst on the planet when he was making her the bathtub and everything. Are these the same stasis chambers that they got into to play that scary game with the clown man? Ooh. Hmm. <laughs> kind of seems like it. <laughs> yeah. And if that's the case, I could see why there's so much fear surrounding yeah. these things. Let's get out of here. You got it. Chicote is like, can you give me some assurances that we can trust Seven and also that we won't meet Michael McKeon in <laughs> the uh, process of going through this nebula? Finally, someone who appreciates me. Those were clown stasis units. These are something else entirely. <laughs> and uh, and you're saying that if we don't do this, we'll get splattered against the back wall of the bridge like cat food, right? Yeah. Janeway's like, look, Chicote, I'm asking you to trust me and my instincts. And Chicote doesn't say this, but you know he's thinking it. He's like, why don't you decide to trust your heart? Once in a while, <laughs> as it pertains to me. He does. He's going to trust her. Yeah. He's not putting up that much of a fight. Yeah. That's good enough for me. He's really putty in her hands, you know? really is. See you at $1,700. <laughs> Sounds great. They start getting in these stasis chambers. Tom Paris has the greatest misgivings of anyone on the senior staff. Luckily, these things are outfitted with a glow-in-the-dark handle like you'd find in the trunk of a car. <laughs> they open from the inside. Yeah, if you need to escape, the designers thought about that ahead of time. But uh, they look like really comfortable. Like they have maybe the nicest looking pillows I've seen yeah. in a Star Trek bed of any kind ever. Saw the inside of these things and I wanted to get in for sure. It looked great. Yeah. There's taking a nap in that nebula. They all get into their stasis pods and the captain's the last one to go and... The Doctor and Seven seal her up, and uh, the next time we check in, they're a third of the way through. Yeah. Yeah, ten days later. And things are going great. Smooth sailing. It is a fucking dream to be alone on this ship without the distractions of a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. Seven's walking around alone, just drinking a mug of Carnation Instant Breakfast. Yeah, and I love that they... um they were very realistic about like how this would actually go. Like she gets out of the cat suit. She's not in high heels. She's in like flip flops and sweats. I was just gonna say that. Yeah, the uh, the house pants need to be broken out here, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she looks like she got comfortable for once. Yeah. In her time on the show. Yeah. The <laughs> the one uh, bit of tomfoolery, if you will, is that Tom Paris keeps getting out of his stasis chamber. He keeps pulling on on the, <laughs> on the dark handle. If I have to take a nap for a month, I really would rather do it in my quarters. I like how that glow-in-the-dark handle has a little graphic of somebody jumping out of the trunk of the car, but it's like, yeah. it's a real like tall arc. Like, you're supposed to jump up to jump out. <laughs> Oof, I don't know. I think if you jump up, you're going to hit the top of the trunk. yeah. And then you're just going to fall right back in. Maybe it's like in the Beavis and Butthead movie where it's trying to get you to run really fast. Yeah. You know, when you jump out. Did the science of this moment make sense to you? I thought by leaving the tank, you'd begin to get the lesions and the headaches and so forth. But Paris is just on the ground having a, a automatic door open and close on him. <laughs> yeah. Like he's fallen in front of a grocery store. He doesn't get any McRib sauce on him. And yeah, they put him back in. And I kind of wished that there'd been like a snip of dialogue, like, ooh, lucky we're going through a pocket with relatively little blah, blah, blah radiation or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But no explanation. 
the EMH is getting real snappy at this point. Yeah. It's kind of funny because the way this is written is that the EMH is like, all right, Seven, enough with your bullshit. You have to take more classes. <laughs> and not like uh, having any insight into his own bullshit. Right. Classes that I teach. The master <laughs> of human interactions. Physician, heal thyself. Is that all you got to say? In simulation, apparently Neelix knows a shit ton about warp engineering. Yeah, what a fantasy. Yeah. They're having like an out-of-uniform party in Neelix's restaurant, but Seven is uh, is not really throwing herself into the simulation. She is working on making the warp engines more efficient. Hey, Neelix, why don't you take the night off? Why don't you be the guest at your party for once? You know, there's different kinds of people to throw parties, and... Uh, Neelix really strikes me as the kind who who really martyrs himself to the party. Like, mm. he really does not get to enjoy himself when guests come over. And I've really been that way in the past. I'm trying to learn how to uh, prep the party sufficiently that I can just be in the moment when, when people are there and not constantly worrying about mixing the next drink or getting the dogs on the grill or whatever. That's a great call. Proper preparation can lead to a... Uh pleasurable night or just like getting it catered you know calling in the doordash order or whatever god we are really at the age of like catering a party i've never done that before but boy what a dream that would be just have a taco truck roll up to your driveway and yeah just do it like that that'd be amazing i've never done it either but i've had friends do it and it's like uh man this is really the right way to do (laughs) this is fucking classy as hell we gotta do that sometime yeah. Maybe the Uxbridge Shimoda holiday party can be that this year. Yeah. For once, it'll be not just you and me getting hammered alone in some dive bar <laughs> and then succumbing to food poisoning. Yeah. <laughs> a restaurant with a C in the window is usually the location we select for a yeah. <laughs> Uxbridge Shimoda holiday party. Sure is. God. Seven is not quite getting the goal of this program. This is supposed to be party friend, not party business. Because Seven is like chopping it up about work with Neelix and Captain Janeway. And they get into a huge argument about how to work together while working together a little less. Right. Like that'd be a good idea for them, right? Yeah, the EMH is saying like, I'm ordering you to do this. I'm ordering you to do that. And she's like, maybe you should order me to like not have to interact with you that much so that we don't keep coming to blows like this. Yeah. And while they're having their little odd couple fight, we get a banger. They have to split up. The dock goes to the bridge and Seven goes down to engineering. And it turns out that like they're getting like weird false readings because as she gets closer and closer to the engineering section. He's like telling her more and more dire things about what's happening to the ship. And when she opens the doors to uh, surely get blown out into space, like every Star Trek podcaster dreams of, yeah. the engineering section looks fine. Looks fine. You look closely at seven here and there is just a twinge of disappointment when those doors open and everything's fine. It's all right, doctor false alarm. I mean, on one level, she's relieved because she, you know, if, if you're going to go out, you want to be, go out looking your best and she's, yeah. you know, she's in the sweats and the t-shirt and the flip-flops and she sure. just wouldn't be happy going out looking like that. But on the other hand, like, relieved not to be going out. There. Yeah. So there's like weird false readings and uh, they locate this to gel packs, these neural gel packs that they I feel like they come up like once every other season that the Voyager has a special type of computer and <laughs> there are bioneural gel packs all over the ship. And uh, yeah, it seems like they're getting fucked up by the nebula. Maybe like people do, you know, like maybe the McRib sauce is getting into the gel packs or something like that. A big sack of McDonald's McRib sandwiches. This danger hits really different from other types of Star Trek ship dangers, right? I was thinking a lot about that episode of TNG where there's that computer virus that infects the D after they watch the Yamato explode in front of them. Oh, yeah. And like how much more presence death was in that episode than it really ever is here. This is introduced as just a kind of thing that needs to be triaged over and over and over again. 
it rarely rises to the level of the ship is going to explode at any moment. Right. I think that's an interesting choice. I mean, anytime that it does, that turns out to have been a red herring of one kind or another and not yeah. an, a, an actual danger that was really present. Yeah. It's a weirdly light episode in that way, given that it's kind of a haunted house of isolation and vulnerability episode. Right. And it's very specifically laid on one person instead of the ship and the crew. Our course is locked in. What? Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. Doc is one of those coworkers that just complains about everything. And Seven doesn't really complain about much at all. She just absorbs this. I mean, she's a good ear for for the complaints, you know? Mm -hmm. The doc practically encourages Seven to do this as a way of coping. Yeah. And it's not like she's going to have much choice because while they're they're fixing the gel pack, his emitter starts glitching. He has to like sprint back to Six Bay because if, if the emitter goes out, they could lose his program for good. They make it back just in time. And... After looking at the hollow emitter, it's clear that this is not a fixable problem. So the doc is going to be stuck in six bay for the remainder of the mission. That means that seven is going to be the captain now. Look at her. Look at her. (laughs) She's the captain now. Yeah. He's going to be confined to six bay. So now it's day 29, like a long time later. Yeah. Did that all take place on day 10? All of that stuff we just talked about? Pretty big day. Because <laughs> day 29, she's dreaming about being in like a snowy environment. And then she wakes up and is like, "Woo, my dreams are getting fucked up. She checks the Alco for NyQuil <laughs> because she's having those freaky NyQuil dreams. You want to be well-rested when you're seven because her day is just nothing but ship triage Yeah, from station to station. Just running around, fixing stuff, hearing Tom Paris's ghosts down hallways. She uh, gets word that there's a ship nearby that's trying to hail them, and she beams this dude over. He wants to trade, and his name is Trages. Trages wants a trade. (laughs) So that's nice. For him. I mean, this is a deal that she can take him up on. He's got the helium and she's got the microfusion chamber. Yeah. He's got the big hairy arms and the kind of horny pioneer energy. <laughs> like he's like telling her about how he wants to be the first person across the nebula. Doesn't seem to mind that they're way ahead of him if that's the big goal that he's set for himself in life. And also doesn't seem to mind that. When she says like, oh yeah, like the stuff on the other side of the nebula sucks just as much as wherever you came from. (laughs) He also like doesn't seem to know what a Borgs is and then does. Like his his story is getting a little hard to follow. The more this guy talks, the less it feels like a meat cute and the more it feels like a meat creep. Are you alone on this ship? Yeah, and I think that it's like, the show has already done an episode about like a dude kind of assaulting Seven. Yeah. And I feel like they toyed with the idea of this being more like what Trages was about. Yeah. Because it feels like that kind of threat. And, and in an episode about like isolation and loneliness and like, you know, nobody is coming to save you, like that could be a way to, to write it. But then the, it doesn't quite go that way. No. He's scary and like when he like runs away and is hiding from her on the ship and has a cloaking device or something that's alarming. But the next scene is her like stalking through the ship with a rifle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like a haunted house just doesn't seem as scary when you have a huge rifle. Yeah. I think maybe you're a little paranoid. That's what loneliness can do to you. I mean, this guy gets away pretty fast. Seven gets distracted by Paris's ghostly voice. Yeah, And then when she turns around, Trages is gone. Yeah. Trages? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but like she sees his shadow round a corner. He seems real enough yeah. to be freaked out by this moment. Real enough to taunt her over the radio. I know your sensors can detect me. So if you want to know where I am, you'll have to ask. She goes to Six Bay, like naturally. She needs to talk to the only 
awake person on the ship besides her. And the doc is like, look, this is a bad situation because the computer can't pick this guy up. So he's got to be using some sort of personal cloak and the ship is gone too. So he's probably got a cloak on that. And the computer more and more is sounding like a broken carnival ride. So she's got to split her attention between finding this creep show on the ship and also continuing to fix all the things that are breaking. She gets asked a very interesting question by the doctor. He wants to know if she's frightened, and uh, she kind of rejects that. I am bored. (laughs) It's funny how her answer to the question is packing a phaser rifle. Yeah. Except seven, most households with phaser rifles are statistically more dangerous than those without, all right? Yeah, you know, people think that they're getting it for home safety, home defense, and it actually raises the likelihood of a terrible accident. Right. I mean, but at the same time, when you have a Borgs in your house, those statistics are frighteningly similar. I haven't seen... uh what are those movies where the where they're like elaborate tricks that people have to like get out of like there's a there's a key in your belly and you have to dig it out with your bare hands to unlock yourself where a bear trap is going to bite your neck off or whatever yeah you're talking about saw yeah. the saw family of films yeah so this sort of sort of has some saw right like the the like taunting villain uh, over the radio sure but it's like a two can play that game kind of thing because like the second he starts taunting her and then reveals his location she like cuts the oxygen to the bridge and erects a force field around it this is cold-blooded i love this it's like if you had control over whether saw could breathe while he was doing his evil trap to you yeah is saw the name of the guy sure i haven't seen it i'm scared of those type of movies i don't think you would like those movies No. no this is also the scene where Seven watches Paris and Enten Kim ignite and die on that upper level of engineering. A very Event Horizon kind of image, I think. Yeah. Love a uh, spontaneous human combustion scene. I felt heat. This is not something that's in our heads. Really scary. Really nice special effects on that. Yeah. Sadly, Trajus does not consent to the breath work that Seven is into, and he succumbs on the bridge. And so Seven like radios to the doctor who is just marching down a hallway at this point and he's like the mobile emitter is back in the in business baby. Yeah. <laughs> it's like since when? Like what the fuck are you talking about it's back? Kind of a lot happens off screen in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Like was the doctor literally just sitting in six bay like tinkering with it? I've been working on my mobile emitter. I think I'm making progress, but I still can't leave sick bay. Yeah, he had those little jeweler's tools. Mm. Oh, yeah, like a loop and the little tweezers that you use to repair a watch. Jeweler's tools. Ah, the rural juror. That is something. <laughs> so Trajus is supposed to be incapacitated up on the bridge, and Seven's going to meet the doctor there so they can, like, stomp a mud hole in his ass or whatever. So she grabs her rifle, and she's about to leave engineering when he walks in. How could he be down here? Seems impossible. This makes no sense. Oh, uh, another thing is he's impervious to your weapons. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Trajus is uh, nebula-proof and phaser-proof. And he starts telling her about how bad she is because she's a Borgs and how she's alone and weak and pathetic. And uh, as he's doing this, like the warp core goes from blue to green to really accentuate the point that he's making. Mm-hmm. The doc walks in and just sees Seven gesturing to an empty room with a phaser rifle. Not a good look. Yeah. She's yelling at the wind. So he starts to try and like work on convincing her that she's been hallucinating Trajus. Trajus wasn't real. And uh, there's another banger here, right? There's like the, like the EPS goes out at this point. Right, because one of the ways that Seven has kind of helped out the doc is like patching his power through the EPS conduits. And this thing just exploded in engineering. So the doc starts blinking out here. Yeah. And things are frantic because the doc is like, look, your mind is going to continue to fall apart here. And you need to at least be with it enough to repair the EPS conduit so that you can bring me back. Yeah. So hold it together. He's like, there's antipsychotics I can put you on and the dosage is... 
One of the amazing things about making the greatest generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Hi, Adam Pranica here for Podshop.biz. The easy way to dress, drink, and decorate virtually anything fast with embarrassment that lasts. Podshop.biz is not a cult, and it's not a multi-level marketing scheme. It's a supercharged carousel of crap spinning at a high rate of speed for all your dorky needs. Ordinary web stores are a mess, but with Podshop.biz, you'll find products from all of our shows referring to many of our most popular bits. Shirts, glasses, and bags from other websites can damage your mood, but not with podshop.biz. Our nerdy, jokey bullshit will rebuild your damaged attitude and turn you into a person with riz. Turn your laptop from off the shelf to off the hook with a sticker. Make pool time cool time with our line of hilarious swimwear. And stop raw-dogging your smartphone Strap it up with the choice of designs that'll have you go from saying hello to hello. But that's not all. At podshop.biz, you can choose from the Brenner Information Systems Collection, the Uxbridge Shimoda Corporate Collection, this old enterprise, logos for Greatest Generation and Greatest Trek, and more. Order now at podshop.biz. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I'm giving you an order. I'm giving you an order. Is that understood? I'm giving you an order. I'm giving you an order. You have just crossed the line. She's got six more days of transit and a mind she can no longer trust. Right. She conjures a very catty Harry Kim yeah. in the ass lab. I mean, I'd be catty too if I had this much McRib sauce on me. Yeah. Go away. You can try to shut me out, but... Looks like Daddy's bringing home the barbecue. That sauce is only going to be on his face for a limited time, though. <laughs> yeah, it's on its farewell tour. That's what I'm betting. Can she put up with it? 17 hours left. Yeah. Until the, the ship's on the other side of the nebula. She keeps like doing the math on this, right? Like, like we keep checking in with like their progress through the the nebula, and uh, they're getting really, really close. She winds up on the bridge with the entire senior staff covered in McRib sauce, like they've absolutely gone ham with the McRibs, and they're just telling her how alone she is and how isolated she is and how she's gonna fail. You deserve a break today. going to watch them die and uh, she runs down to the stasis chamber and McRib sauce Janeway is taunting her because like seven is like shunted power from stasis chambers one through ten to the engines to keep them moving through the nebula and then when she runs down it's revealed that that's the senior staff's tubes yeah which like I would maybe go like the other end of the org chart for the ones that you're taking power from like the most expendable red shirts maybe I would start with yeah, I had a lot of questions about how the selection of these stasis units <laughs> was chosen. This episode does make some good order of operations choices, like Severin's first choice being to get into more comfortable clothing because she's like not around anyone. But in this case, this was a bad order of operations choice right. in the script. As Seven makes her way back to the bridge, the corridor is filled with green smoke and she meets up with the Borgs there from an Aaron Sorkin TV show. And this is a part of the episode that is very focused on her time as a Borgs and is really encouraging of her to either rejoin them, like the doors open up and there's a Borgs cube waiting for her. And, and Tragis is like, look, you got to jump out of this turbo lift and into the Borgs cube. It's where you belong. You don't belong alone. It's your home. Are you too good for your home? This is a through line for all of the interactions that Travis that Travis has <laughs> with Seven. It's all about her solitude and her ex-Borgsness. Right. And how he might know all these things. Yeah, he seems to have very similar energy to Borgsley Whitford, the Borg that's taunting her in the hallway. Yeah. All of the negging is about her not being in a relationship at her age, and it's just very hurtful stuff. You will die alone. <laughs> like My parents say the same stuff. Leave me alone. <laughs> There's 11 minutes left. She's shunted the power from those 10 stasis chambers to the propulsion, and then she turns off all life support and shunts that remaining power into the 10 chambers. But yeah. that means she doesn't have life support where she is. And I was like, put on a spacesuit, Seven, or get in a shuttlecraft, which has independent life support. I mean, she kind of gets negged into doing this, right? By the Caddy Bridge crew. Yeah, yeah. They're like taking bets on what she's going to do. <laughs> yeah, Harry Kim like pulls out like a little, little notebook and like wets a pencil on his tongue. Yeah, yeah. They are very cruel to her. It's really, really mean. She feels things. I think that's like the main takeaway of this episode is that like up until now, you aren't exactly sure 
if she feels anything with the way people talk about her and around her or at her. Yeah. And she suspects that she's not liked and not trusted. I think it's about us learning about how much she feels and maybe also herself a little bit learning yeah. about that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, she wakes up in a bio bed with a bunch of people looking over her, like Dorothy waking up back in Kansas. And they're like, yeah, you did it. Like, we all woke up on the uh, far side of the nebula and the doctor was like doing a Baywatch mouth-to-mouth sequence with you. Slight role reversal, because let's be honest, you would have been the the lifeguard in that scenario. Seven looks around and like she squints at Chakotay and then looks at Janeway and then back at Chakotay and at Janeway again. And she's like, so wait, you were in those chambers for like 30 days. I had a major medical emergency. You got out of the chamber, went and took showers and did your hair again (laughs) while I was on this bed, maybe dying. You got yourself together and fixed your bed head and then and then came to my bedside. That's the order of things. How yeah. dare you? And then it pans over and Harry Kim is sitting there like super disheveled and yeah. like he didn't take a shower. Yeah, he's like been at her bedside the entire time. He reeks. <laughs> 30 days, no showers. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine the smell when all those stasis chambers open? Just the unwashed humanity that wafts over everyone. I, I'll tell you about the strength of the hair product that I want to use. Stasis <laughs> chamber strength. Sometimes it's like soft hold, firm hold, yeah. stasis chamber. Yeah. When you go up to the number of G's that you're traveling to get out to the event horizon, yeah, your body turns into cat food, but your hair stays right. Yeah, perfectly in place. <laughs> yeah. So the button on the episode is Seven showing back up in Neelix's restaurant for the first time for real in the whole episode. It was always a simulation before. Mm -hmm. And she finds a a group of three buddies at a table, BLT, Tom Paris, and Harry Kim, and uh, invites herself to join them for funsies. Way to sit down, Seven. Maybe next time, you know, even if you're not hungry, I think there's always room for soup, right? Yeah, just like, uh, you know... Glass of soda pop or something. Yeah. You know, just so you have some business to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And don't make the server feel like they're just like (laughs) serving four people and they're not going to get a tip from one of them, you know? (laughs) Like, don't ask for free shit. Like, oh, yeah, just bring me water and bread, you know? Yeah. No. Get something so that you can can cover their costs. You're part of this now. (laughs) The group is pretty sympathetic to Seven in a way that they haven't been up until now collectively, I think. They're like, wow, what was that like? On the ship all by yourself? Must have been crazy wearing around your house pants that long. And uh, Tom Paris is like, why are the like knuckles on my hands like calloused? Like I I keep pulling on like a uh, (laughs) T-shaped like pull cord over and over again. Feels like that's all I did for the 30 days. My neck really hurts too, but like in two specific places, like a door has been closing on it over and over again. <laughs> Not here or here so much, but right here. Did you like this episode, Adam? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullets, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. It's a nice ending, isn't it? It is. I think that there's like some tonal paths not taken in this episode that I sort of wish that they'd taken. Yeah. Some others that I'm glad that they didn't take, but like it is a very interesting character study of seven. And I think it is like strengthened so much by the way it concludes for being as uneven as it was on the way there. Yeah. I mean, Jerry Ryan carries this episode in a way that is both great for Jerry Ryan in demonstrating her greatness, but also like, Star Trek can sometimes Star Trek be like that in that it <laughs> it focuses its stress so much on one person instead of distributing it around. Like I I can feel the stress in more than one way as a viewer, and I kind of wanted to. Like I wanted the moment before getting into the pods to be more intense instead of comical. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely playing Paris's like very relatable fear for 
like a silly thing yeah. in this episode. Seven's the only one permitted to feel that kind of fear in a way that I think makes for a more powerful episode for her and her character. But, you know, like the the true depth of the horror of the circumstances would mean realizing that that is going for everyone. And it's only at the end that we start to feel that way when power starts being turned off to some of the chambers, right? Yeah. But, I mean, as an episode, I think it's great for what I hope it does to Seven because I like seeing her treated with kindness. She's had a hard road. (laughs) People really don't seem to get along with her and she doesn't get along with anyone else. I mean, no amount of holodeck training is going to help this. Like, I think that's one takeaway that we get from this, right? Like, like the docs programs are not helping. What is helping is sitting down with people for real. Yeah. And to their credit, I liked how welcoming those people were. These are all people that for one reason or another might have misgivings about welcoming her at this point. BLT most of all, right? BLT hates her. She's punched Kim in the face. Or no, she just bowling pin. Kim him. is like dumping cold water on his erection yeah. under the table. <laughs> but yeah, speaks well of the crew. I I think overall, I like this episode. But yeah, it's definitely not a perfect execution of a, right. of a good idea. Yeah. You know what always is? Hmm. Ben? What's that? Priority one messages. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is of a personal nature. Hmm. It's from Marcus, and it's to Tyler. All right. The message goes like this. To one of my very best friends. Here's a P1 sent from before your wedding to an unknown time well after. I'm so excited to share your special day in Madrid. Damn, cool. I hope you're reminded of the fun we definitely had that night. (laughs) As you listen through TGG to catch up, I also hope you actually hear this message since you kind of hate Voyager. (laughs) Love you, buddy. Tyler, don't go. (laughs) Tyler, you don't have to love Voyager to love the hit Star Trek podcast, The Greatest Generation, though. Yeah, we hear from people uh, that don't even watch Star Trek that enjoy the program. Yeah. Yeah, and if you want to hear your P1, I think it's time to tune in. Yeah, you got to do it. Here's a tip. Don't tell Tyler which episode this P1 is in. (laughs) Sorry, Tyler. You're going to have to listen and subscribe to everything. And uh, don't tell which Tyler it is either. We want all Tylers everywhere to be listening to all episodes. That's going to really help us. Indeed. A huge number of uh, podcast advertisers are are really trying to, you know, narrowly target their ads to people <laughs> named Tyler. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Our next priority one message is from Michael Rizzo. Hey, Michael. And it is to Adam, Bree, Laura, Carl, Kit, and Marie, but mostly Lieutenant JG Jake. <laughs> and it goes like this. Regarding the hashtag crotch dice continuation, I'll see you in early August for the 57-year mission. Synchronize your watches and their decibel warnings for the Prana Cabana. The human adventure is just beginning to chill at the Rio. God, I, I just can't believe we're going back to the Rio next year. Are we? <laughs> I mean... You and I might not. I better get my wife pregnant again. <laughs> I don't have to. <laughs> it would be worth avoiding the Rio in that way, huh? God. I mean, it sounds like the Rio's pool is more pleasant to be at than whatever one the Prana Cabana was. Yeah, I mean, that's because the Rio has fully given up on its pool area and there is yeah. no DJ or facilities or anything out there. Yeah, you're just, they're just like, uh, do you guys like want anything or like beer? And they're like, uh, I guess we'll see if we have any. <laughs> yeah, the decibel warnings are for low decibels out yeah, at the Rio yeah. pool. Your Apple Watch is like, are you still alive? <laughs> You seem, you seem to have taken a hard fall into a very isolated place. <laughs> Is everything all right? Do we need to summon the authorities? This place is a tomb. 
<laughs> well, if you'd like to get a priority one message on the show, head to maximumfun.org slash jumbotron and set one up today. Will the Rio even have ice? Mm. You need ice for a crotched ice, right? Yeah. I noticed it said portable on my ice machine packaging. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I should bring the ice machine to the pool. I mean, the trouble, Ben, is that uh, you'd also need a working outlet at the Rio <laughs> to plug that thing into. The Rio isn't current on their energy bill, and so uh, stuff gets turned off all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Could be very exciting over there. <laughs> wow, a lot of fun. Uh, I guess I just have one question, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? This is an episode of very few characters, right? Yeah. So I think you're narrowing your Shimoda confinement beam down to the Doctor and Seven, if you're me, the way I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I guess so. But I'm not thinking about it in that way. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Royal alert. The the guy I can't get out of my head is that Borgs (laughs) from Sports Night. Yeah. He's so recognizable to me. I was like, oh, look at that guy. He's from Sports Night. <laughs> I'm going to make him my drunk Shimoda. Wow. That man has a name. His name is Ron Ostro. He's been in a lot of things. Most of them. Man, I thought your Aaron Sorkin thing was just that they were doing so much hallway walk and talk in those sequences. I mean that in both ways, but like this guy is from the Aaron Sorkin school of television. I- like. Man, he's in everything. That's why I made that Borgly Whitford joke. I didn't recognize him. It was great. You, it was great, and it, it didn't worked. work. It, no, <laughs> go back and edit it out. Now you are imperfect as well. No. I'm embarrassed now. I liked it. It didn't make sense. It didn't. didn't. <sighs> fucking so fucking frustrated. This is what I get for not having watched Sports Night. There was a time when everyone was like, "You gotta watch Sports Night. It's the greatest." <laughs> yeah. That's like four eras of better kinds of television ago. Yeah. <laughs> like that was the uh, like Arliss era prestige television show. It's so weird how, how Sports Night and Studio 60 and all that. Like why is there always a scene where 9-11 is evoked? <laughs> Aaron Sorkin's really obsessed. Only way Sorkin can blast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Fix You wasn't even a song. Yeah, shit, man. My drunk Shimoda is McRib Sauce, Ensign Kim. Yeah. In the Ass Lab. Good one. Sassin, seven of nine. Uh, I just loved the role reversal. And I, I thought that Garrett Wong's like, you know, like it can be hard to like change the the status of a character in a fun and plausible way. But like he's always been sort of on his back heel around seven and him being the one like making fun of her and belittling her really worked for me in the, in that scene. Yeah, I like how Garrett Wong is playing Kim the last couple of episodes. He's, yeah, he's kind of stretching him out a little bit. Yeah, it's nice. Well, Adam, why don't you head to gach.biz slash game while I tell you about season four, episode 26. Hope and fear. A mysterious alien with a knack for languages is able to repair a damaged message from Starfleet. Hmm. Boy, they really dropped that storyline for a long time, I feel like. The, like, we got something over the Herogen yeah. comms array, but, like, can't decode it storyline. I know. I, I We're going back to that? Yeah, apparently. Huh. Or maybe it's a different scrambled message from Starfleet. <laughs> it's Tom Mervins, and he's like, look... Cat, <laughs> you need to know that it's over. For the dog. Speci- uh, sorry, maybe that wasn't clear. I'm calling to say that the dog died. <laughs> there's, there's no woman on earth that will have me. <laughs> I really need you to come back. <laughs> Our house looks like shit right now. <laughs> I'm certainly not cleaning it up. Yeah. It's like that, uh, you ever see that, that commercial for like uh, cleaning products where the dad just cleans the square behind him in the kitchen yeah. so that he can FaceTime with his kids 
because his wife's on a business trip. Yeah. Am I making any sense? That's Tom Mervin's in a nutshell. <laughs> ben, I'm over at the game of buttholes. The will of the caretaker. I'm looking at our runabout. It's on square 26. Two squares ahead is the naked now. Yeah. The end of the show, right? An episode that could be the end of our show as we know it. <laughs> I have not selected my replacement host. Yeah. That's probably going to be up to you. I'm just going to be so over it that I'll, I'll put that on you. I'm not really attending meetings, famously, and uh, there's probably going to be a meeting about that. Yeah. <laughs> Me and the entire uh, upper management team at the Expert Shimoda Corporation. Yeah. What to do about Adam's attitude problems lately? Yeah, you're going to have to pit me. <laughs> it's happened before. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Pit me, Ben. <laughs> pit me. Ben, I have rolled a four. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Ah. <laughs> Which means I will remain on the show as a host of The Greatest Generation. I want to be clear. I don't really want to do a bathtub episode, but I do like how angry it makes you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully this awful concept is behind us forever. We're on square 30. It's a regular old episode. Wow. Look at that. We'll get up off of the uh, lower few rows pretty soon. Yeah. Things are looking up. It's a good feeling. Mm. It is. Almost as good as knowing how much this show is supported by the Friends of DeSoto, right? That's the best feeling of all. Yeah. When I think about the folks that head to MaximumFun.org slash join and support what we do here, not because you have to, but because it's fun. Boy, that fucking rules. Those people are salt of the earth. It's fun, but it's also not expensive. Five bucks a month. Make yeah. sure the show goes on and on. And on. Yeah, can we like wrap this up though? Because I got to get out of here today. <laughs> and they don't get nothing yeah. for that. They get a bunch of bonus episodes. Yeah. By you and me. Enjoy the show for free. Nothing gets taken away from you, but if you support, you get extra. That's right. We've been making monthly bonus episodes. Really fun stuff. Yeah. I think an exciting episode of Santa Monica Mountains, our Baywatch Rewatch podcast. <laughs> this one features Roxanne Dawson, Adam. She was in Baywatch. So many people now feeling the chill of winter. I think they're appreciating the hot, <laughs> dramatic action of an episode of Baywatch. Yeah, yeah. And a show where things just explode all the time, I'm learning. Yeah. It's a show hot enough to warm any bones. That's right. Another fun way to support us, get something for yourself over there at podshop.biz. Yeah. More and more items being put on the store every day, it seems. Yeah. Check us out on social media. There might be like a, I don't know, holiday uh, promo code at some point. Yeah. Keep your eyes peeled for that. It's gift giving season. Yeah. I love the idea of somebody getting a friend into our show and then in time for the holidays, getting them something from podshop.biz. That's a great way to support the show. I would like to see some holiday pictures shared on the social medias of people opening up podshop.biz gifts. Yes. And then having their picture taken by a confused parent <laughs> or family member. <laughs> Flash on all of these pictures, too. That's the rule. Do not try and make these pictures look good. <laughs> no. Yeah. Flash on for every one of these, please. <laughs> I love this. We got to thank Wendy Pretty, the producer of this program. You've noticed that the editing on the show has been a lot better lately. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. It's really great to QA these episodes and know that they are in such good hands with her. We got to thank Nick Dittmore, who made our art and helps us out with the uh, design stuff over there on the store. We got to thank Bill Tilly, our car daddy, who runs the At Greatest Trek social needs for us, without whom. Those would be a lot less fun to follow. Go ahead and follow at Greatest Trek on your social media platforms. I don't know which ones will exist by the time this comes out, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to stay on the one where I get a blue check. <laughs> That's what I like. That's the good one. Headed in the most positive direction. Yeah. Who else do we got to thank? We got to thank Adam Ragusea, the goose, of course. Yeah, this is also like prime cooking season too. If you've been field promoted into cooking a family meal or a friend's meal for the holidays 
Time to brush up on your skills. Yeah. Watch Adam Ragusi's YouTube channel. Get your skills up in the kitchen. He's one of the best. Yeah. A true bud. Yeah. And with that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager. And uh, maybe for the greatest generation Voyager, we can also pick up a thread that we forgot about long ago and like follow up on it. But I can't even think of what that might be. Really? Yeah. Have we ever like dropped anything without ever commenting on it again? All the time, I bet. <laughs> I think our show is mostly that. <laughs> this is a Star Trek podcast hosted by two Sammy Jankuses <laughs> acting as if they know anything is going on. Yeah, yeah. Got a lot of running gags tattooed in reverse on my chest. We're Sammy's Jankus, the podcast. <laughs> Wow, the latest title ding in Greatest Trek history. <laughs> Congratulations to me. Make it show. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.